everyone. You're listening to Focus Faith Podcast, and this is Carrie Powers. Thanks so much for tuning in. Growing up, my grandmother had a question, and she would often ask this question of myself and of my brother, and the question was, who do you love? So she would be randomly doing an activity, you know, cooking or washing the dishes or whatever, and she would say from the kitchen, wherever we were at, um, Carrie, who do you love? Which, of course, the answer had to be and was required, you, Grandma, of course. Um, And then she would respond with, that's right, and I love you too. So this was just a common occurrence. This was just something that we would regularly do. So to start off the podcast, I think my question for all of you is, who do you love? And it's a really, really broad question. A broad question, because obviously we, and hopefully, we love a lot of people. Hopefully, if we're blessed, we love a lot of people. But who is first and foremost in our life as the love of our life? And that's really what this podcast is all about today. We were created by God to bear His image. Genesis one twenty seven says, so God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. So he created us for a purpose, and that was to bear his image. And we bear it differently. Men bear his image in their strength, in their protection of others, and as their warrior status. And women, we bear God's image in how we love. We are created and designed for love. So the question for women would really never be, would we love? The question would always be, who would we love? And how would we love? Because the woman's heart was crafted for devotion. We were made to be completely and totally devoted to God. But here's the problem. If we don't place God in that rightful place in our heart and in our life, then we're definitely going to put someone else there or something else there. And this is when really true problems arise. But I want to look at something very uh, special today. And this is found in John chapter 12, in the first 11 verses of that chapter. We encounter... Mary and Martha once again. Now, if you remember, and if you've been listening, um, we first encountered Mary and uh, her sister Martha in podcast number four, titled The Good News or the Bad News. So if you haven't listened to that, you don't have to do it in order. There's, you know, you can go back and listen to it. But I would encourage you to listen to it because it does give us a different picture of Mary as well as what we find here in John chapter 12. And can I just say that I'm very, very grateful for the Gospel of John. Without the Gospel of John, we would have very little understanding of Jesus and his interactions with women. But John gives us a whole depiction and uh, really beautiful examples of how Jesus interacted with women. So I'm going to begin reading again in John chapter 12, starting at verse 1, and I am reading out of the New Living Translation. It states, Six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus, the man he had raised from the dead. A dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor. Martha served, 
and Lazarus was among those who ate with him. Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance. But Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, said, That perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. Not that he cared for the poor. He was a thief, and since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some for himself. Jesus replied, Leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. When all the people heard of Jesus' arrival, they flocked to see him, and also to see Lazarus, the man Jesus had raised from the dead. Then the leading priests decided to kill Lazarus too, for it was because of him that many of the people had deserted them and believed in Jesus. So what we see here is really this beautiful picture of Mary's great devotion and absolute extravagant love for her Savior. So this expensive perfume, why does she have this expensive perfume? Um, We're told from the text that it was worth a year's wages. So to put that in today's terms, like think about that in today's terms, that's an expensive jar of perfume. I don't know what you make in a year. Um, I work in the social service agency when I'm not doing my side work here. (laughs) Um, So I don't make any money, pretty much. So, but still... If you take into account how much money a year's wages, this is a lot of money. This is an extravagant thing that Mary has done. And she has taken this and poured it on Jesus' feet. Why does she even have this? Why would she have something of this value? And the only thing that we can imagine is the reason for this is it had to be her dowry. We know from the text, we can assume from the text that Mary's not married There's no reference at all to her husband. She lives with her siblings. So it is um, understood that she would be single. And so what she has done here is she has taken her dowry. She has taken her chance, her chance at a future, love, children, security, all of it. And she's poured it on Jesus. It's huge what she's done. Because a woman, again, in that time, had zero value outside of her relationship with a man. So her only shot at having any kind of life at all was to be married. And now she's taken that one shot she's got and she has emptied it. Onto Jesus. Places her future, her plans, her desires at his feet. And then she does something else. The text tells us that she takes her hair down and she wipes his feet with her hair. A woman of this time would not have taken her hair down. Ever. And she certainly wouldn't have done it in public. Because it was scandalous to do that. I mean, harlots took their hair down. This was not something that a woman of high standing would ever do. And yet she does. The only time that a man would see a woman's hair down 
was her husband. A woman would take her hair down for her husband in private. That was it. That was the only time. So what we can see here is this is a very intimate act that's happening between Mary and Jesus. She doesn't care that she's causing a scene or she's doing something scandalous. She's showing her devotion in her heart. And nobody understands other than her and Jesus, really. Because we see this reaction out of Judas, right? He says, hey, this money should have been taken, sold, and given to the poor. Again, we see his heart here. He doesn't care about that. And then what does Jesus say? Leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. I just, I love that first response. Just leave her alone. They didn't get it. They didn't understand it. But Jesus did. And it wasn't any of their business. I love that this, this heart of Mary is contrasted with Judas's heart here and his ultimate act of betrayal of what he would do. I think it's funny, too, um, that the details that were given, because it's funny to me that John also tells us that what Martha's doing. And what's she doing? She's serving everybody, which is what Martha does, right? Because we know this from Luke. If we were to spend any time and go back to Luke, we would see a picture of Mary and Martha, and Martha served. And what did Mary do? Mary sat at the teacher's feet, and Martha got mad, you know, went to Jesus and said, make my sister help me. I'm doing all the work. So once again, Martha's serving. But that's her act. That's her act and her devotion to Jesus is she's going to serve people. That's what she wants to do. That's her gift. And what we see here in just this beautiful picture of both of the sisters, really, and their heart and their devotion for Jesus. So with Mary, um, Luke tells us that Mary sat at Jesus' feet. And then if we looked at John 11 and the account given to us when Lazarus has died, we see that Mary fell at Jesus' feet. And now we see that Mary has anointed his feet. And the text tells us that the fragrance filled the room. Because extravagant love is contagious. It has lasting effects on everyone who's present. Now, I want to go to another story in scripture that I believe um, paints another picture of devotion and sort of is a bit of a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ and his ultimate act of redemption for all of us. And that's given to us in the story of Ruth. Uh, we encounter Ruth in the Old Testament by the book given to us by her. That's her name, Ruth. Um, Ruth is a Moabite, and she's a widow. She's also a really good daughter-in-law. Because Ruth and Naomi were in a very desperate situation when the story of Ruth starts out. Naomi had uh, returned to Judah, and Ruth, her daughter-in-law, went with her. Naomi has lost her husband and both of her sons while living in Moab. 
And she's returned in disgrace because she has no one to care for her now. She has no security, and all she returns with is Ruth. And Ruth doesn't have to return to Judah with her. Ruth makes a decision to do this. Ruth could have stayed in her home in Moab, and she could have stayed with her own family. She could have tried to find another husband because she's also, she's a widow. She was married to one of Naomi's sons. But instead, she decides to stay with Naomi. Now, God's law has set out um, provisions and allowances for widow's protection. And one of the very key components of this is it's laid out that the nearest relative of the dead husband should care for the widow. But Naomi really has no relatives in Moab, so she, at any shot at a life, they decide to return to Judah. Now, before, I'm just going to read um, Ruth chapter 3 and the first 13 verses. But before I do that, I want to read from the study notes in the Bible here that um, this is taken from the um, Life Application Study Bible. So the study notes kind of give us a really good picture of what's happening here and what it means to be a widow at this time period. So it kind of paints the picture for um, an understanding of the text that we're going to read in chapter 3. So the study notes state, as widows Ruth and Naomi could only look forward to difficult times. But when Naomi heard the news about Boaz, which we're we're going to get that picture here in chapter 3, her hope for the future was renewed. Typical of her character, she thought first of Ruth, encouraging her to see if Boaz would take the responsibility of being the family redeemer. So what does that mean? Well, a family redeemer was a relative who volunteered to take responsibility for the extended family. When a woman's husband died, the law provided that she could marry a brother of her dead husband, but Naomi had no more sons. In such a case, the nearest relative to the deceased husband could become a family redeemer and marry the widow. The nearest relative did not have to marry the widow. If he chose not to, the next nearest relative could take his place. If no one chose to help the widow, she would probably live in poverty the rest of her life. Because in Israelite culture, the inheritance was passed on to the son or nearest male relative, not to the wife. So this family redeemer or kinsman redeemer is another word for it, is Boaz here in the story. He's going to be our great hero and he's going to enter into the picture and provide this great uh, salvation for Naomi and Ruth. So Ruth, um, once they once they return to Judah, um, Ruth has decided to go into the field of Boaz, and she is um, picking up the leftovers as they harvest, which was also a provision in the law given for people who were poor, that they could go behind, and you were to leave a certain amount so that they could go behind and gather it. So that's what she's been doing, and she's been doing this in the field of Boaz, and Naomi uh, comes up with a better plan than just picking up the leftovers. So chapter three of Ruth, uh, starting at verse one, one day Naomi said to Ruth, my daughter, it's time that I found a permanent home for you so that you will be provided for. Boaz is a close relative of ours, and he's been very kind by letting you gain grain with his young women. Tonight, he will be winnowing barley at the threshing floor. Now do as I tell you, take a bath and put on perfume and dress in your nicest clothes. Then go to the threshing floor. 
but don't let Boaz see you until he has finished eating and drinking. Be sure to notice where he lies down. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down there. He will tell you what to do. I will do everything you say, Ruth replied. So she went down to the threshing floor that night and followed the instructions of her mother-in-law. After Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he lay down at the far end of the pile of grain and went to sleep. Then Ruth came quickly, excuse me, quietly, (laughs) uncovered his feet and lay down. Around midnight, Boaz suddenly woke up and turned over. He was surprised to find a woman lying at his feet, I'm sure. That would be quite surprising. Who are you? he asked. I am your servant, Ruth, she replied. Spread the corner of your covering over me, for you are my family redeemer. The Lord bless you, my daughter, Boaz exclaimed. You are showing even more family loyalty now than you did before, for you have not gone after a younger man, whether rich or poor. Now don't worry about a thing, my daughter. I will do what is necessary, for everyone in town knows you are a virtuous woman. But while it's true that I am one of your family redeemers, there is another man who is more closely related to you than I am. Stay here tonight, and in the morning I will talk to him. If he is willing to redeem you, very well, let him marry you. But if he is not willing, then as surely as the Lord lives, I will redeem you myself. Now lie down here until morning. Well, we have just this great picture here. And um, I love a couple. I love so much about it. But Naomi uh, comes up with this plan. And um, and she gives it this this whole layout to Ruth. I love that she says, you know, um, take a bath. Put on perfume and dress in your finest clothes. Things haven't changed. Men are still wanting women to smell good. I want my man to smell good too, just saying. But I think this is still the same, right? So she says, hey, take some time. Make sure you look nice. And then what happens here? So Boaz is sleeping at the th- uh, in the threshing on the threshing floor because he's guarding what they have harvested from thieves. Now, what she does here when Ruth comes and lays down at his feet, there's a couple things happening here. Um, so it it all ties into the fact that he is their kinsman redeemer. Okay, so the kinsman redeemer was responsible in several different ways given in the law. Um, He was responsible to buy a fellow Israelite out of slavery. He was responsible to be the avenger of blood to make sure the murder of a family member answered to the crime. He was responsible to buy back family land that had been forfeited. And he was responsible to carry on the family name by marrying a childless widow, which is what we see happening here in Ruth. So the kinsman redeemer was responsible to safeguard the persons, the property, and the posterity of the family. This was his obligation. And do you see the correlation here in the fact that Jesus would be our ultimate kinsman redeemer? That he would be the ultimate one who would provide for our safety and our security? and our great protector. So there's a picture happening here. And Naomi has instructed Ruth to go in, uncover his feet, and lie down. And sometimes it might look as though this is provocative or sexual, but that's not how the gesture was understood in that day. In that culture of that day, this was understood as an act of total submission. 
So this was understood to be the role of a servant to lay at their master's feet and be ready for any command of the master. So when Naomi told Ruth to lie down at Boaz's feet, she told her to come to him in a totally humble, submissive way. And then this act, when Ruth says to Boaz, spread the corner of your garment over me, this was culturally relevant way to say that I'm a widow and take me as your wife. And these little, these um, examples here were taken from the Enduring Word Bible commentary. So we have this great exchange happening here and understanding it in the culture and the time frame. Of course, Boaz would go on and marry Ruth. They would have a child, they would have a son, and this son would also be in the line of Christ. So there's just a lot of amazing redemption happening for Ruth, this foreigner. She's not even a Jew that God has allowed into this incredible line, this bloodline of the ultimate Savior. So just so much, so much happening here. I mean, we just so much. But in tied with what we first looked at with Mary in John 12 and the act of her pouring this perfume on Jesus' feet and wiping it with her hair, that that's what Mary is doing in that act there. She's showing her submission and her humility. She's coming to Jesus, laying at his feet as though a servant, really, and also laying this at his feet and declaring to him her great love and that he is, in fact, her husband, that he is her kinsman redeemer, that he and she's placing all of her future and her plans and her hopes at his feet. This should be a depiction also of our love for God. And I truly believe, speaking as a woman, these are both examples of women in scripture, and I can tell you that as a woman, I do know that our love comes easy. You know, we love our husbands, and we love our children, we love our friends, and hopefully we love God. That part comes easy. What becomes challenging is keeping it in the right order of who really needs to come first in our heart. And that when we place that first, well, then there's just no limit to our love and the extravagance of it. I'm laying all this out in this this podcast kind of as uh, a bit of an opening for next week's podcast, where I will uh, have a guest on my podcast I'm super excited about. Um, I'm going to have a friend of mine on. And during this podcast, we're going to discuss what it's like to be a woman in the church. And what does that look like? And as women um, that are gifted to teach, how are we being accepted within the church? And is there scriptural basis to allow for women to teach. Um, we're just gonna we're gonna hit into all those really controversial questions and um, really take a look at what that means for women and how women fit really in the church.
So it's exciting and I'm super excited about it. So I just really wanted to lay this out this week that let's really get this right before we dive into women and our gifts and how we can be adequately used and appreciated within the church. But let's look at our heart because that's really the, the most beautiful part of women. And I truly believe um, how God fashioned and designed us to bear his image. So I'm excited about it. And I hope you guys will all tune in uh, and listen. Once again, I want to encourage you to follow me on Facebook, Focused Faith on Facebook, so that you can stay, um, I don't know, connected. And that anytime that there's a new podcast, which is every week, um, but that you will be able to get the link for that and keep track of different things that I'm going to have on the horizon, hopefully later in the year. So again, thanks so much for tuning in. It's always a pleasure and um, God bless.